This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Honey, tell me how your love runs true. And how I can always count on you. Be there when the bullets fly. I'd run across the river just to hold you tonight. There's little Tyler Childers kicking things off for us on episode 668 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, new thing we're doing, I'm putting up a poll every week on social media, uh, and it's usually two artists battling it out. You guys get to vote to decide which one opens each show. Uh, so I think uh, Tyler knocked off Zach Bryan in a tightly contested vote uh, for this week's show anyway. Uh, so yeah. I love y'all's input, and uh, this way, y'all decide. Simple as that. But uh, anyway, it's a great time to be alive in the great outdoors. I tell you what, largemouth spawn is upon us. Turkey season knocking on the door. The crappie are headed into their shallow water haunts. I mean, whether you like to hunt or fish, uh, springtime is uh, its one of the best times of the year. The dogwoods are blooming, and, uh, and actually... When the dogwoods bloom, you know it's time for the uh, the white bass run. Uh, old fishing guide told me that one time. And as far as running uh, up the creeks out of reservoirs, I found it to be quite true on every occasion. Uh, so make time. Spend some time in the outdoors this spring. Take a kid hunting or fishing uh, because they will remember that. I'll tell you what they won't remember for the rest of their life. Video games. iPads. Uh-uh. Mm -mm. That stuff ain't going to stick with them. But you taking them hunting or fishing, uh, that, my friends, is laying the groundwork for a future generation of hunters and anglers. Uh, anyway, what are we doing today? Let me tell you. We've got a good one lined up for you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee. I think today I'm drinking the Power Llama. That's one of my favorites. Uh, but yeah, whether you like a light, medium, or dark, they've got it all. But uh, pour you another cup. 
out of Granddaddy's Beat Up Bold, Stanley Thermos, because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to talk large carnivores, specifically bears, with SCI Foundation large carnivore program leader, Maria Davidson. So lots to get into on the bear front as this is a, uh, yeah, whether it's grizzlies or black bears, they continue to be elevated onto this imaginary pedestal above other species, which doesn't make any sense. Same thing with wolves and mountain lions, uh, but much to get into with Maria. And then uh, we're going to talk retrievers with my good friends, Rusty and Ashley Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels. They'll be here in studio uh, at the bottom of the hour. And, you know, if you're like me, um, you've probably made some mistakes with your dogs over the years. I mean, I'm on my third duck dog at this point, and, uh, and each time there are things that I wish I would have done differently. And, and no dog is the same, mentally or physically. So lots to discuss with uh, Rusty and Ashley coming up here in just a little bit. So that's what's on the docket for today. I'm certainly excited about it. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway here. And I just got the green light from my friends over at NUMA to give away one of their Casa Camo trucker caps and a Renegade pullover. This thing is a, it's a three-quarter zip pullover, perfect for turkey season. Casa Camo and uh, vented, so, you know, it's going to keep you nice and cool on those warm spring days when you're out in the woods running and gunning, looking for that long beard. Uh, so, yeah, all you need to do, just email the word NUMA. That's NUMA, and that's spelled P. N-U-M-A, that's NUMA, P-N-U-M-A, email that to uh, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com and you're entered into today's giveaway. Coming up next, let's talk some bears with SCI Foundation's Maria Davidson on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. I don't think we'll make it 
Jackson's the name of that one. Uh, the latest there from Caitlin Butts, who is uh, married to Cleto, the front man from another one of my favorites, uh, Flatland Calvary. Great stuff there. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for tuning in to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Good to be here with you, and uh, super stoked about our first guest today. But before we talk some bears, this segment brought to you by NUMA Outdoors and the Pathfinder Pant and the Renegade Top. That's what I'll be wearing in the turkey woods. Lightweight, but still durable and uh, protective to keep those thorns and uh, briars off of you. Yeah, and and the little cockleburl things, I don't know, that's what I've always called them, but those little tiny burrs that get, you know, if you had a retriever, get stuck in their hair, stick to your socks. These things repel those too. It's the Pathfinder pant. You can find it at numaoutdoors.com and don't forget about that lifetime warranty on all their hunting apparel. Okay, uh, well, let's go ahead and take a listen to the conversation that Maria Davidson and I taped at the SCI convention in uh, Nashville a couple weeks back. And again, she is there, uh, the SCI Foundation's large carnivore program. Maria, so um, it's great to be here at SCI 2023. I want to get to know you a little bit and talk about what you do. I am the large carnivore program manager for Safari Club International Foundation. Okay. So tell us, well, first of all, tell us what the, what, is sep- what separates the foundation from actual SCI? So the foundation is a sister organization for SCI. It is where we house our conservation projects, our humanitarian projects, and education. So I lie within the conservation department. Mm-hmm. I am relatively new to SCIF. I've been with them almost a year now. I am from Louisiana. I retired a year ago. I was their large carnivore program manager for LDWF, so I literally could have just scratched out LDWF on my business cards and written in SEIF (laughs) and saved a little bit of money um, and moved to Wyoming because this this, um, um, needed to be up in the Intermountain West, and I have a lot of friends in Wyoming and really love it and wanted to move up there anyway. My son lives in, in Montana, so wanted to be up in that area. And, and just loving it. We've got conservation projects. We've got human bear conflict projects. We work from the Yukon all the way down to now Texas. So it's a great program. Okay. So as far as bears go, I mean, they, they're obviously in the limelight um, more often than not when it comes to these apex predators that the anti-hunters put on a pedestal for no reason at all. Uh, do you work more with black bears or, or grizzly bears? Well, a few years ago, the Conservation Committee divided up their their projects into some strategies to somewhat focus our spending to get a little bit more bang for our buck. And so we did some um, work in focusing that, and we developed some grizzly bear strategies for obvious reasons. But we also work in other carnivore projects as well. So right now, my projects are mostly grizzly bear. We're going to focus, we're going to spread that out somewhat and have more carnivore projects. Right now, I've got both um, population work and human bear conflict. I've got a um, population study in the Yukon going on Mm. where we're going to estimate population density as well as estimates on the Klondike Plateau with the department up there along with the Yukon um, Outfitters Association. We've got some conflict mitigation going on on the front range of Montana 
which is an interesting area for grizzly bears to exist. It's you can look out there and it's almost not a tree in sight. I mm -hmm. cannot it's hard to believe grizzly bears can make a living out there, but it's just a testament to bears can make a living almost anywhere if you give them, you know, an inch, they'll just about take a mile. Yeah. Um we've got some bear conflict projects going on in Wyoming, actually a couple of them. We work with the um Forest Service cost sharing some um bear-proof food storage boxes that we put into the backcountry for both resident and non-resident hunters to use. You know, they've got those um, food storage requirements in really large areas now because of grizzly bear range expansion. Mm -hmm. And it can be fairly difficult for just, you know, if you're not an outfitter and you're not really set up for that kind of stuff, to have all of the requirements to store food, store horse grain, store your carcass, you know, just all of the above to be into the backcountry for over just a couple of days for, you know, more than one or two people. So we yeah. install these bear boxes back there so that when you get back there, you can put all your, your food in there and be in compliance with with their rules and also be safe so maybe like, more like importantly be safe backcountry campsite do you have a bear box there or where do you right so these these are basically historically used campsites by hunters that the forest service knows they're already being used so oh, okay. we go back there and and these are prefab boxes that once we get back that we pack them back on horseback and then and then assemble them and leave them back in these campsites and mm. it allows them to bring their food in and store them in something that a bear can't get into. So they're in compliance with the rules and they're, they're safe. So yeah. bears aren't being drawn into campsites and then learning bad behavior only to come back to the next group of hunters or campers that are in that site. Well, and they do learn bad behavior because uh, one of my good friends went and did a caribou hunt in Alaska and it was uh, close to like an Indian reservation and... Um, they lost all four caribou to bears, and they would they would literally come into camp, and they would pull out their pistol and shoot it in the air or at the ground around the bear. You couldn't kill them, and uh, and the, the bears didn't care. They're like, right. no, I'm gonna take your caribou because I've done right. this before, and, and no one stopped me. Right. I mean, bears bears learn things. Almost, they're a first time learner. They they get away with something just one time. If they get a food reward, just one time you can bet they put it on their they mark it down on their gps they're coming <laughs> back you know i've yeah. i've worked in bear conflict my entire career so you know i can tell you not only do they know where they can get a good meal they can go through a neighborhood and tell you basically which houses have the best garbage they yeah. will they will walk right by some houses and go straight to to one house oh. over another you know they know exactly where they need to go they're do incredibly intelligent do you think and this is like a slippery slope but I'm not going to say I want more human bear conflict, but I kind of cheer when somebody's pet gets eaten in places like California where they, they you know, took away hound hunting, so now we don't effectively manage. Um, interestingly enough, though, I guess it's causing a problem because they're considering a second bear tag in California, which I don't think much sound wildlife management comes out of that state, but I was surprised to see that. You know, I... Early in my career, I used to think that. I used to think that if you saw enough conflict or the conflict escalated enough or if it hit closer to home, that those that held extreme views would change. I don't believe that anymore. Hmm. I just don't see it anymore. I find their views are so out there and they're so out of touch with what is reasonable and rational that I, I just don't, I don't believe that anymore. And, you know, what I find 
or what my answer has just finally been is to always be completely factual, completely reasonable, and and base what what I recommend and what what I tell people to be what I know works. Mm-hmm. You know, and and what I know works is don't let them get a food reward in the first place. Um, you know, sometimes you have to take bears out of the, the ecosystem. You have to take them off the landscape. Moving bears works sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, it, it, there's no, you know, silver bullet. You can't, it's not one size fits all. And and what I have found is the anti-hunters, the animal rights organizations, have a tendency to just say what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, I honestly don't know why. I don't know if it's because it raises them more money or if it just makes people feel good about what they are doing or if they just hate hunting that much and they don't want us to hunt bears or large carnivores or whatever the case may be. Okay, fine. Then you give us the money. Right. Give us the money. Yeah, they, and, well, you know, interestingly enough, some of them are doing some human bear conflict work. And I, I've, what I have decided is that it's kind of a backdoor approach into earning their, their seat at the bear management table. And mm. in some ways, it, it's been somewhat successful, which is one of the reasons I believe that hunting organizations, pro-hunting organizations, I think that, you know, if we want bears out there on the landscape, which we obviously do. I mean, of course I, don't yeah. find, I don't find hunters to be anti-bear. I mean, I, I firmly believe that hunters are the original conservationists mm-hmm. because we are right then then it behooves us to and it's our responsibility to step up man up and be part of the pro- part of the solution you know get up there and be part of the human bear conflict solution do your part because bears are not always easy to live with yeah you know help those that have to live with them in their backyard because there's always a cost to it always and if you do that, then you have earned a seat at the bear management table because that's what they're doing. That is one of the routes that they are taking. You know, for example, you know, when the general public needs to know something about bears, they're going to start Googling that. And, you know, the general public knows nothing about bears. Right. They, they truly know nothing about bears. And I know that because I've spent a decade <laughs> or two or three teaching them about bears. And so the amount of things they don't know will boggle the mind. So when they Google that, and instead of going to the true bear professionals, the state agencies, things like that, they can they can get deflected to animal rights organizations because, you know, they're out there on the internet. And, yeah. you know, they almost look like paraprofessionals because they're doing that work. And, you know, some of the work they may be doing may be, do, may be good work. You know, they may be installing electric fences or providing bear trash cans or whatever. But the messaging is always propaganda. But they are, they are certainly providing huge doses of anti-hunting mm-hmm. messaging along with every bear-proof trash can and every electric fence. And the public doesn't know any better. If they are being told, you know, you really... As long as, as the entire community bear proofs there, whatever, then no lethal control needs to take place for human bear conflict. As long as we do this, then you really don't need to hunt bears to control the population. You know, they're telling them things that are just not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bear biologists, you know, across the country know them to be not true. And if you're a state biologist you, you know oftentimes well more often than not you know i spent a career having to tell people things that 
they might not necessarily want to hear. Right. You know, it is the, the uncomfortable truth that, yes, you have a bear in your backyard because you haven't done this, and we're going to have to do this now. And it's not always something that they want to hear, but it is the somewhat uncomfortable truth. Yeah, well, the uh, uncomfortable truth is, you know, that's just a microcosm of, of modern society. People don't want to accept that uh, a man can't be a woman, for example. So uh, it that's just the way, that's the crazy world we live in in 2023. We are going to take a quick break. I've got a hot take for you uh, coming up here in just a second, though. That segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy and Hogs Hammer It. It's the liquid attractant from Big and J. Uh, it smells like old stinky cheese that you just pour out on the ground. It doesn't look like that. That'd be gross. Uh, it's a liquid form. Pour it on the ground. You can hunt over it that day because of the intense aroma that hogs literally will die for. You can find it at BigandJ.com. We'll be right back. Trying to fit a clock in a round hole. Heart of darkness facing a thousand bloodshot eyes. We'll know when we get there. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. There's some brand spanking new tunes from The Great Divide. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for tuning in to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. We're talking large carnivores, specifically bears, here today with uh, Maria Davidson. Before we get back into that conversation, though, this segment is brought to you by the good folks over at Stealth Cam, the leaders in trail camera innovation. Whether you're looking for just a classic trail camera that's gonna take high quality photos or videos or a cellular camera that will send those images directly to your cell phone, uh, they've got three or four models of, of just cellular cameras and a litany of others to choose from. Check it out, you can find them all at stealthcam.com. And uh, with that being said, let's get back into it with SCI Foundation's large carnivore program leader, Maria Davidson. I have a hot take for you. Okay. Being, being from Texas, we have a few pockets of bears, like West West Texas. Sure, sure. I think some maybe come into the East Texas Piney Woods from Louisiana. Uh, I don't want bears in Texas. It's uh, it would it would disrupt what what funds our conservation is white tailed deer hunting. Right. 
if you put a bear in, it, just say bears get a free pass in Texas. Now we have everyone has deer feeders that would be dumped over. I don't know how you could keep a bear out of a deer feeder. It would be damn oh near gosh, impossible. I can see we're going to be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love bears. I like I like hunting them. I like looking at them when I'm when right. I'm elk hunting and I see one. Right. And I don't have a bear tag. I still I, right. I love bears, but I don't want them in my state. Like you said, they're, they're, they can be a headache, and we are too far down the rabbit hole as a white-tailed deer hunting state. That's what that's what it is. Is we're known for for big bucks and, and largemouth bass. Like. I don't want to deal with bears. I would hate to have a bear on my deer lease, personally. <laughs> like, I, and I think, and I think I speak for most Texas hunters. Like, it's like, who wants a 300-pound raccoon on your property, on your deer hunting property that could also eat the fawns or just eat all your corn and make a, a mess? Get into campers, trailers. I mean, I don't know. You might feel differently, but that's that's my take anyway. Was there a question in there? Yeah. Well, uh, no. How I think do it I was respond to that? <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I I spent whatever 28 years in Louisiana, so. Trust me when I tell you that's not the first time I've heard that. Yeah. You know, obviously, Louisiana can bait for deer also. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually quite a few ways you can keep bears out of a deer feeder. Does it take a little effort, a little money? You bet it does. Yeah. But you can do it. Uh-huh. Um, bears don't actually run deer off of a, a feeder. When they walk up to a feeder, deer will leave, and then they come back. Deer are pretty smart. They, yeah. they figure out pretty quickly that... that they're not much of a threat, just like they figure out pretty quickly the opening day of deer season, and they, they change their behavior accordingly. Yeah. They figure it out pretty quickly. Um, most studies will show you that bears don't predate fawns that much. Will they opportunistically, opportunistically take a fawn? Mm-hmm. Sure they will. Does it happen that often? Probably not. Black you know, bears. Show You're you saying black, black bears. bears black bears. You know, especially black bears in the south. You uh-huh. know, our especially in East Texas. Now, West Texas, we're talking totally different. That habitat is completely different. And right. I'm not quite sure what's going on out there. Uh-huh. You know, the studies that they're showing now is that the more the fawn mortality without black bears and coyotes is about the same as with in uh-huh. areas that have black bears and coyotes. You know, they're they're pretty fragile little beasts, yeah. and and so. When you're talking about coyotes and black bears, you're basically talking about a completely opportunistic omnivore. Mm-hmm. Let well, me repeat, opportunistic omnivore. And so yeah. a lot of those studies, you know, when you've got people beating a path to a little fragile fawn, putting a little collar on it, and then beating a path out, it doesn't take a bear but one time to follow that scent trail. Uh-huh. One time. And he goes, hey, wait a minute. Wow. And he figures it out pretty quickly. But, you know. Aren't there studies out there, though, too, that show that, and this is more out west, but that bears will kill, like, uh, especially, you know, a a sow with cubs might kill 15, 20 um, fawns or calves, if you're talking about elk, in, like, in in the springtime, just, like, within a month, even. Well, bear diet is going to vary greatly based on geography, based on where they are. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, and bear size is going to vary greatly based on geography. You know, in Louisiana, their diet is primarily vegetation. Mm. You know, and East Texas is not really any different than Louisiana. Right. You know, our habitat is so productive vegetatively that they don't really have to make a living on anything else if they okay. so choose. Okay. And and they, they basically don't. I, I picked up a bear off of the road one day and when we were getting rid of it we were taking some samples off of it and i thought wow what in the world is in this bear's stomach it was just stuffed i thought what in the heck it was just so bloated and i went ahead and cut it open 
you couldn't have stuffed another black tree ant in that stomach with your finger. It was so stuffed full. I thought, how in the world, how much time did that take? Good for him. He ate, he ate the whole mount of ants. I, yeah, what, yeah. How in the world did he do all that? Yeah. That, that had to have taken an, an awful lot of time. Yeah. But you know, it it just depends on the habitat. So it depends on geography. If you look at black bears in Wyoming, they're if we could get them to eat fire ants, I might change my mind. Because I hate those bastards. That might hurt. <laughs> that that would be a trick, though. I can imagine. You know, if we could get them to eat feral hogs uh, more. Yeah. I mean, I know they do, but boy, if they could specialize in it, yeah. they'd be everybody's hero. Yeah. So okay, last question for you. Okay. Um. There's obviously a lot of stuff in the news about delisting the grizzly and opening up a hunting season for, you know, the greater Yellowstone area. Right. Um, Science says that that's warranted. Do you think in this current climate that that will actually happen, that we will have a hunting season for them? Because we've tried before. Wyoming even drew the tags and then as like a a circuit court judge like kiboshed it and said, sorry about you, no hunt. Right. I mean, obviously, I have my fingers and my toes crossed, but we live in such a litigious society that I'm assuming that there's always room for another lawsuit. But, you know, from the conversations I've heard, there's certainly room for hope because you're right. I mean, the criteria has been met, but mm-hmm. it's was met a long time ago as well. Yeah. And when the goalpost continues to be moved, it kind of begins to make you lose hope it's like okay are y'all going to move the goal post again it's like that old cartoon where lucy keeps jerking the football away right. from from him you know it's like wait a minute are you going to move it again <laughs> um i i hear that there's really hope this time and you know there's even some some talk of federal legislation and you know as a as a retired state wildlife biologist i kind of hate that you know wildlife biology should be left to the state agencies. It shouldn't be legislated mm-hmm. because legislators aren't wildlife biologists. Right. But when lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit, you kind of think, well, maybe there's no other choice mm-hmm. but to say, wait a minute, you can't sue anymore. You have to deal just like the wolves, you know, just like the wolf Well, thing. you said something I mean, interesting there that legislators are not biologists and- Judges I mean, aren't either. That's why we got wolves back in Colorado because the scientists were like, no, 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 no. Colorado Parks and Wildlife was on record because they tried to do that like three or four years ago and Colorado Parks and Wildlife was like, no, we don't want to do that. Exactly. But then here come some lawmakers and say, you know what, let's let the general public decide through a ballot initiative. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Management in the ballot, at the ballot box is just, that's no, that's no way to manage a wildlife species, Mm -hmm. you know, just because the public wants something doesn't necessarily mean that it's possible or it's warranted or it or it should happen right. that may not be the case that's what we have you biologists know? to save us from ourselves <laughs> well it, well exactly i mean i th- i think that for the most part state agencies do the best they can mm-hmm. with what they have i mean resources are limited you know i think that that state agencies are left with what they have to work with and you know almost always you're left leaving somebody somewhat unhappy mm-hmm. you know you try to be in the middle of the road and you manage for the wildlife species the best you can you provide a resource for the public you you manage the resource for hunters to provide opportunity you manage it for sustainability mm-hmm. but you you know you, your, your resources are limited yeah yeah well, uh, last thing, how can folks get involved with or support the SCI Foundation? 
Well, you can go onto our website. There's some great resources on there. Finances are always limited. Mm -hmm. I would love for them to become a monthly donor. That's the greatest way to do it. You can get all kinds of cute gifts and stuff in the mail. They're awesome. Uh You can support our projects through our website, scif.org. That would be awesome. You can go on there. We've got some great videos that we just put out on our YouTube channel. That's awesome, too. It can show you all our, our grizzly bear projects. I thought they're pretty cool. So that'd be awesome. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. So there you have it, Maria Davidson, SCI Foundation's Large Carnivore Program Manager. Uh, Interesting stuff there, and cool to just get an inside look at what the foundation is doing on uh, bear management and bear issues, habitat, all that cool stuff. And that segment was brought to you by Mossberg Firearms. Whether you're looking for a rifle, pistol, or a shotgun, they do all three. They do them well, and they're also America's oldest family-run firearm manufacturer. You can find it all at Mossberg.com. Up next, we're going to talk some retrievers with our good friend, Rusty Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. You know she was right, we were wrong, nothing more than a pretty song about a boy who loved a girl from San Angelo. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to Armasite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at Armasite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike like the 640 contractor i've got the 320 640 even better you can find it all at armorsite.com i'm chris letzinger online sales manager at cinnamon creek ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club we're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges full pro shop and six different 3d courses cinnamon creek was designed by hunters for hunters Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Wow, we live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. Alright, Chisholm Trail, the name of that one, the latest from Dalton Torres, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here as we're about to get into a little retriever talk. 
And we'll do that with a couple of JoJo's favorite people who are here in studio. But before we get into that conversation, this segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. Right now is the time to enter into the $5,500 Vortex Optics and Gear shopping spree. Mix and match it however you want. Spotting scopes, uh, rifle scope, binos, rangefinder, whatever you need uh, up to $5,000 and then $500 in Vortex apparel. It's free to enter, and all you need to do is sign up for their newsletter. It's that easy. Uh, and you can do that by going to join.vtxnation.com. All right. Well, uh, let's bring him on right now. Here in studio, JoJo's trainer and breeder, Rusty Hagland, and his better half, Ashley. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you, Cable. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, how are things at the kennel these days? Good. I'm getting a little busy with hunt test season rolling around the corner. And then we got dogs coming in, getting ready for next season. Someone was certainly excited to see you here. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's breathing heavy because JoJo's excited to see you guys. Um, so I wanted to talk about some, some different topics when it comes to retrievers today. First of all, what do you tell people? when they are looking for the the perfect retriever for them like a lot of people I, like i wanted jojo because i wanted a small chocolate female but with the way that dogs are bred today you can probably pick out you know whether you, you want a sports car you want a you know a workhorse what have these dogs been bred specifically to do and what is your advice to someone when they're looking for a retriever well a lot of times we look at the retrieving desire in the parents, well, like mm -hmm. when we do the breedings, you know, the size is a huge thing. You know, back in the day, everyone wanted that 100-pound lab. Now everyone wants them small and petite like JoJo. What is she, 50 pounds? Mm -hmm. um, people, majority, majority of the people want that. Yeah, when I was young and dumb, you know, my first lab, Maverick, whose picture is behind you, um, he weighed 100 pounds. But I was 21, I was like, I got to get a big male lab. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've had two females since then. Maybe when the kids are out of the house someday, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, channel my inner macho man again and want a 100-pound lab. But I don't think so. <laughs> but I'm horrible at picking puppies. Uh -huh. You know, Ash always picks puppies for us. Um, she always picks the cutest one out of litter. Uh -huh. So... I mean, everyone has their own scientific ways of picking out the best dog out of a litter, but it doesn't matter when it comes to genetics. Mm -hmm. And what is, I mean, how, how much can that fluctuate in, in one litter from one puppy to the, the next? Well, it, it definitely can. Um, but a lot of times what we've noticed, and it's kind of weird that I'm saying it, is... You know, one litter will be fantastic, every puppy. And then you'll do a repeat breeding, and there's some bunch of weaker ones in there. Huh. It, it, like, skips a generation. It's weird. Huh, that is interesting. How much has, like, AI changed things from a, from a breeding standpoint? We've had real good luck, and majority of our litters are done AI. Uh-huh. So can you just buy the semen from someplace in Wyoming and have it shipped here? Yes. Okay. Jojo, I know you're excited, but come come lay down. Get in your bed. She loves you guys. 
<laughs> Which I find ironic on some level because, and that was one of the questions I had for you. As the trainer, how do you keep these dogs from being afraid of you? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it ain't so much as being afraid as mm-hmm. respect. Mm-hmm. Respect is the main thing. I mean, there's a time and a place to play, and there's time and a place to work. So I think we got JoJo at like, what would that have been, eight weeks, ten weeks, somewhere around there? Eight weeks. Eight weeks, okay. And I just did what I did with my other two labs, which was if she peed in the house, I smacked her and then put her outside. She didn't – She I got the other two at closer to 12 weeks and one was 14 weeks. And she didn't respond to that very well. She got to where she would – be a little, she was a little afraid of me. I didn't beat the dog, you know, but I just yeah. spank her and yep. tell her no. And uh, Aaron wouldn't. She she strong words was more her style, and so the dog was a little more uh, tepid around me. And some dogs, that's all it takes. Is, mm-hmm. You know, a solid no will do it. <laughs> yeah. So when is is it okay to spank a dog? And yes. at what age is too early? Or is there too early? Because I felt like with her, maybe the age thing, or maybe it's just her personality. She didn't respond well to that. Um, I don't think there's a certain age, but like I said, it, respect comes into it. I mean, if you let them get away with it, they're going to keep doing it. And they're no different than kids. You know, there's a lot of parents that won't spank their kids mm-hmm. and look at how they turn out. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the kids run the show. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I don't need my kids walking all over me or my dog. But Maverick, that first dog, the big one, I mean, I was pretty heavy handed with him. Also, I was young and dumb and, you know, single and in college and. My roommate had a Rottweiler and the other one had a Doberman and, you know, we'd come home and where there once was a couch, there no longer was a couch. It was just gone, just chewed up all over, oh, yeah. you know. So they got they got spanked pretty hard, but they were all huge male dogs. Yeah, I mean, it ain't so much beating the dogs. It's, you know, sometimes just a flick on the nose will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have shot collars back then. Couldn't couldn't afford them, you know. Huh. That would be cutting into your beer I, budget quite a bit in college. I, they didn't have shot collars <laughs> back in the old field trial days. Yeah, you know that was the way they did it. Was, you know they got after them dogs. They got physical. Yeah. Well, where Bell, uh, who was trained by Angie, who's yep. since retired, and she's the one who hooked up hooked us up together. Yeah. Um. So Bell always had a shot collar and. She loved it. You pick it up. She's like, oh, time to do time my favorite thing. I put that shot collar on Maverick when he was about 10 because I had them both for a couple years. Not the same response. <laughs> he was like, get this thing off me. Well, You're they- Satan. You know, you put a shot collar on an old mature dog. This, uh, Yeah, he didn't. Well, they got to be conditioned yeah. properly to it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if they're properly conditioned to it, they're, heck yeah, they're going to respect it. What are some mistakes that you see folks make when they get a dog and they're planning on bringing it back to you, right? Just like we were with JoJo, but what are some mistakes that you commonly see that they get the dog in the house, it's a puppy, and they bring it back to you and, you, and they tell you some of the things they've done and you're like, wow, wow that doesn't make any sense. Why'd you do that? Um, or you set the dog backwards, you know, like. A lot of times when we get young dogs in, they tend to overtrain the dogs, mm. you know, like make them steady when they're retrieving this and that. And like in our program, like 
in the four-month basic program, that's mainly one of the last things we do with the dog is hmm. steady him up, you know, because we want that fire-breathing dragon. We want him running through anything to get to that bird. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when people when people ask us what we should be doing with that dog, it's teach it mild manners, you know, be respectable. Yeah. But yet I want to see more retrieving desire than anything when a dog's brought to us. Okay. So with, whether that's a tennis ball or yes. uh, I think um, with her, I had a dove or some people will tape like a dove's wing to a paint roller. Or yes. Something like any that. type of prey drive. Yeah. And just get them retrieving. Yes. And what's the ideal age to bring them to you for that four month program? Uh, six months. Anything after six months is best because if you bring them before, you can't really start force fetch till they have their adult teeth. Mm-hmm. They ain't mature enough to handle any physical training, and the mature yeah maturity is huge too. Okay, and on the on the other side of that coin, what's too old? Where you're like, eh, this the ship has sailed. For I this don't one. know. We've taken four year old dogs, and they turned out pretty decent. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would go back to what i know the three dogs that i've had and maverick and i had started duck hunting together in college and so he had no formal training we we trained each other really uh, but he was like almost three i think when we started and he liked to retrieve but and i've told this story on the air but dang it when the shotguns went off the first time because he hated fireworks hmm. he didn't like loud noises and uh when those guns started going off I, you know i had a time to the blind because he tried to drag it into the lake trying to get away from us <laughs> And we all missed, you know, we're terrible shots. These guys were new to hunting. I didn't know what I was doing. And finally someone hit a duck and I let him off and went and got it, brought it back. He didn't deliver it to my hand. He just dropped it on the bank right by me. But then the, the it was like the, the light switch. He picked up a gun after that and he's sitting by the front door waiting to go. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's actually a lot of dogs that just everything comes natural to them. Actually, uh, we did a repeat breeding to uh, Joe. and uh, To Chili? Yep. Okay. Her mama? Yep. And uh, this dog has never been trained, and he does everything that his trained dog would do. Mm. I mean, it, it is like monkey see, monkey do. I don't know. <laughs> I can't explain it. Mm. And he wanted to bring dog us for training i'm like why why waste the money she's doing everything you want i mean some dogs it just comes natural so for the four month basic training what what are the expectations for and then this can i'm sure obviously your program is specific to you guys but it's probably it's probably pretty similar across the the industry yes um usually at the end of four months You get good obedience, your collar condition, your force fetched, which means it's controlled delivered to hand. Um, Dog won't be dropping it on the way back and Mm -hmm. messing around. Um, And they're usually picking up singles, 
you know, if you drop one duck on land, water, they'll go get it. It's the upper levels where, say, you drop two or three ducks, you know, it's the additional training that helps condition mm-hmm. them for that. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe did exceptional the, that last weekend of the season. Um, and, I mean, across water, onto land, taking hand signals, you know, I was uh, very pleased. And the folks in the blind were like, how many hunts has she been on? I was like, I mean, shame on me. I think I only got her out six times this season. And some of those hunts were, I mean, one of them was a skunk, you know, and the other ones were like two birds here, three birds here. So the last weekend of the season got her on a lot of ducks. And um, I could see just the amount of volume. I mean, I wish I would have personally had the ducks. I'm My lease just, we just didn't, didn't have them this time around. But I could see every time out just getting better and better and better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, dogs are a creature of habit. I mean, repetition is everything with a dog. You know, the more they do it, the better they're going to get, whether it's walking them on a lead. Okay, if you make them heal good, repetition, keep getting it better. But if that dog is, like, pulling you all the time, that's what they're going to learn. Repetition, they're getting away with it. That's just like hunting. I mean, the more they do it, the more they're going to be watching the skies pretty soon all of a sudden they'll be picking out birds before you and mm-hmm. yes all right uh well rusty ashley let's knock out a quick break here we'll come back and uh, hit on nutrition uh maybe a few other breeds where do golden retrievers uh fall into line as far as duck hunting dogs go these days um uh, all that coming at you next that segment brought to you by sci the worldwide leader and big game conservation. We just wrapped up the 2023 convention, broke all kinds of attendance records. Make sure you put the 2024 date on your calendar. It's going to be awesome once again in Nashville. Uh, I'm already looking forward to it uh, and hope to see you there. We'll be right back on the Lone Star you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Yeah, you call him to see. 
Campbell Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. We're still visiting with uh, Rusty and Ashley Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels. And before we get back into that conversation, I do want to remind you that you need to check out the 600-pound stand-and-fill feeder from All Seasons Feeders. Gone are the days of backing your truck up or having to have a ladder or this, that, and the other. Now it's so convenient. You stand there and you fill the dang feeder. They also have it in uh, 300 1,000-pound models as well. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, uh, well, Rusty, Ashley, thanks for sticking around. Um, let's talk about nutrition because these dogs work their butts off. What, I don't know if there's a, you might just be, I mean, Rusty will tell you he's a good old boy. He might just be loyal to one brand, but I know you're looking at what's in the new, in the food and how important is that for a dog that's working their butt off? Can I'd, you just go to Walmart and just feed them old Roy? Ain't we supposed to? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> we, we actually feed pre and pro plan. Uh-huh. I mean, they've been loyal to us we've been loyal to them um but you you look at the fat and protein ratio more than anything they need they need that higher protein to maintain that muscle mass the weight on them when they're working um during the summer during the off season of a lot of these hunting dogs you can dial that protein back a little bit otherwise they'll tend to get pretty heavy on you so, do you feed more during hunting season? Yes. Yeah, more protein. I mean, whether you switch the fat-protein ratio, you know, switch dog foods, mm-hmm. I'd recommend it. What about supplementing their diet with, uh, and some people say, put egg yolks in their bowl for a healthier-looking coat? Or maybe, <laughs> there's JoJo wanting to say hi again. Or maybe you want to throw uh, some chicken in there or supplement it with like traditionally what humans would eat. Uh, one extreme would be you should see what these, these lion hunters feed their dogs. Oh, it's yeah. Everything that was left over from every dinner just goes into a scrap bowl, and that's what the dogs get. You know, like. Hey, I, I rolled into a hunt club in Wisconsin one time, this many years ago, and they had all their bear hounds chained out uh-huh. in their dog houses. And what they fed them is they had something worked out with the DNR. They just fed them roadkill, deer carcasses. Oh, really? The whole yard was deer carcasses. <laughs> Um, that raw diet (laughs) but like ash when you got mamas fixing to have puppies you know you once in a while do egg yolks or just crack the whole egg on there Uh shell and all for the calcium and everything oh shell and everything okay right on and can you see a difference in in their coat or is that just just for when they're fregos i just use it for when they're pregnant Uh uh-huh and nursing puppies. Just a little more calories. Yeah. Okay. Right on. What What, what is she doing? She's smiling. <laughs> yeah. So it, how many dogs actually do that? Because this is, I, I never have seen a dog that just, when she says hi to someone, she looks like they're going to attack them. But she's just smiling. She's doing it right now. Just smiling. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you get, do you get dogs that do this regularly? Uh, we got a couple. I mean, we got we got one right now, Jeez. and then Joe. <laughs> Joe, I'm videoing it now. Joe looks like she's gonna attack Rusty, but she's just smiling at him. 
she loves you guys. What is what is the age when a retriever is in their absolute physical prime? I'd say five or six. Uh-huh. That's usually when they really hit their prime. I mean, you know, you can't teach them dogs anything anymore. It's more or less maintaining. Uh-huh. For our aspect of things, I mean, hunting and stuff, yeah, you definitely. Land hunts forever now all of a sudden you're going to water oh my gosh now you're in a boat <laughs> you know mm-hmm. maturity level and everything ages five to six would be best and when is the i know it's obviously going to differ from dog to dog but when would you say that they they start to physically decline and where you've got to be like eh, i don't know if this dog can can hack it anymore maybe you've had some that we're 12 and 13 years old that we're still doing that. I don't know. We, we've definitely seen them. I mean, every year at Nationals, there's there's a 12-year-old running. Huh. Yeah. But, you know, we've seen them start slowing down at the age of six. Hmm. You know, we got our personal dog, Billy. He's six. He's slowing down a little bit. A couple others that are eight nine and they're still going strong Mm. so so maverick lived to be 14 and he picked his last duck up when he was 12 and that year i was hunting i think i hunted him like three times and i always had bell there too and then bell was 11 when she got cancer last year and then she picked up 11 ducks the day before i put her down she was still going so you know but we had jojo waiting in the wings so that took the sting off a little bit what about when you talk about breeds, the most common, obviously, is a lab. It seems like going back in time, Goldens were right there with them. But I don't see as many. Maybe people still field trial them. But I don't do as many people still hunt with Goldens. Yes. I mean, we're we're actually starting to get a lot of Goldens. <laughs> Y'all winked in. at each other then. Just what, what's, yeah, what's well, going on there? <laughs> we, we have a lot of Goldens in right now, ironically. Uh-huh. Um, and... You know, they're just, to me, they're just as good as the labs. Okay. I mean, a lot of people just don't want them for their colt. Mm-hmm. You know, who wants to comb out burrs after every hunt? Where a lab, you wouldn't have to do that necessarily. Um, Goldens are pretty special animals, too. Yeah. And they're, so they're still, or would you say they're coming back in popularity then? I. I think so. I mean, a lot of these dogs we're training are gun dogs. Uh Um, There's quite a few of our dogs that are also hunt test dogs, competitions, but uh, majority of them are hunting dogs. Okay. And then where did Chessies fall into place in that hierarchy? Depends on who you ask. (laughs) Me or Ash. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) You don't see a lot of them in texas because probably because of the heat um you see a lot of them running hunt tests and this and that but you get up in the northeast and you'll find a lot more breeders up there mm-hmm. i mean and they you know they're a lot hardier dog when a lab won't go in the freezing water which labs a lot of times will but eventually sometimes they let down they let go they're like i'm done mm-hmm um, supposedly a Chessie ain't supposed to. Hmm. Are they, and you, everyone, you know, if you've been around 
dogs, hunting dogs enough, you've heard the the phrase, you train a, a golden with a no, a lab with a newspaper, and a chessy with what, like a, Two a by four. kick to the ribs or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I have heard that. Is there any truth to that? Are they hard-headed? No. No? Well, some of them can be, but so can labs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I actually just seen something on Facebook that it said there's no such thing as a stubborn dog. It, the dog is stubborn because it is not trained or taught, mm. you know, and that pretty much goes, that that's spot on. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ain't necessarily being stubborn. It's more or less understanding what you want. What about a situation where you just, you take a dog in and it's just not going to work out? Yeah, I mean, it has. I mean... But you just have to tell the you know the owner like this this dog may be a great pet but it's just not it's not it's doesn't have in its DNA to cut it for a hunting dog or a you know a hunt test champion or whatever it is. I mean, a lot of dogs, let's see, will make pretty decent hunting dogs, hunt test competition dogs. You know, some might not cut it, but. You know, since I've been doing this, we started in 2008 mm-hmm. full-time, and I think I've washed out two. Really? Yes. Huh. Um, they end, They all, you know, I had some struggles with some, but I've never really washed anyone out. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I would have thought that probably happens more often. But... I guess persistence, you know. If you, you know, if you, just because they don't make it in competition doesn't mean they can't hunt, you know. Yeah. You know, you get dogs that you just can't keep them from cheating water or whatever. Well, that ain't going to cut it in competition. But, hey, hunting dog, <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> what does it matter? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Um, Let's. Yeah, I know you listened to the the interview we did with the the Boykin guy out of uh, Florida. Yes. And um, one of our listeners, uh, his name's Trent. He he was disappointed because he has a couple Boykins and his and he's had Boykins as long as I've known him. But he was like, "Well, that's great. That guy's you know he's doing something that no one else is really in in trying to to champion these these Boykins." But he said he's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole because that's not what these dogs are they're they're uh upland dogs um so it's cool that he's having success with it but he wanted to hear more of like upland talk have you worked with boykins yes we've had a few and um the ones we had turned out pretty decent like we were talking earlier you know we had one couple years ago that she was she was a little rocket Uh i mean land water it didn't matter. She was real nice. So besides those four breeds, the ones we've talked about, what else do you commonly work with? That's pretty much for us. I mean, uh-huh. we've done short hairs. They turned out to be pretty nice duck dogs. You could probably get away with that in Texas more than yes. if you're going up north. Like, There's not much coat there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I've hunted over some great, I mean, clearly they're they're made for upland hunting. Um, but there's nothing like watching a nice short hair pointing a covey of quail. And then we had old 
little Lucy. Oh, I love that dog. <laughs> she was a, she was a Vizsla, and she was real nice. And uh-huh. That was the only Vizsla we've ever trained. Huh. And she she is real nice. Yeah, I think that's a breed that gets overlooked. Yes. For from pretty versatile, all around hunting dog. Ashley, tell us what you do at the kennel. This is your moment to shine. I know she's looking forward to this. <laughs> um, I help Rusty training, and um, I shuttle dogs. Uh-huh. So I'm out there every day helping him. And then I also whelp litters. Okay. That's how you have the interaction with... Yeah. When you come to pick up a puppy or pick out a puppy or look at a litter, you're dealing with Ashley. Yeah, the yeah that's her, her scene. How many breedings would you say you guys have a, a year? Well, labs, we only have maybe three or four uh-huh. of our personal dogs. Now, she whelps for other people yeah, as well. Yeah. But she also raises Boston Terriers, <laughs> Frenchies, and Corgis. Okay. So, I mean, our personal litters, we might have seven a year, you know, between the labs and her little dogs. And what is a what is an ex, a realistic expectation if you're going to a reputable kennel um, price point on on a lab? Golly, I'd I'd say anywhere from nowadays anyone reputable would be anywhere from twelve hundred to twenty five hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little more than I paid for Maverick. I think I drove up to Oklahoma with a girlfriend at the time, and we paid 200 bucks for him. Oh, yes. <laughs> Covered in ticks. Probably shouldn't have got him. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I spent the whole drive home just picking ticks off of him. Uh, it turned out to be a great dog, but blew out both of his back knees. So, you know, you, you don't know if that, that was part of that situation. Of Hey, the best dog that we've ever had in our kennel, Miss Penny, which is Ash's dog, ironically, that dog was the best dog we've had owned and probably one of them we've seen. Well, at the same time, I had my sister's dog in training. A chocolate lab she bought out of Cabela's parking lot mm-hmm. for 500 bucks. Well, she wanted to go the Upland tournament hunting route. She didn't want to go to the hunt test route. But that dog was actually better than Miss Penny was. Really? And they shared the same birthday, exact huh. same birthday. Huh. So, I mean, yeah, it it doesn't matter what you pay, honestly. It's all in the heart of the dog. That's right. That's not. right. Well, so Joe is the only one I've gotten from a reputable uh, breeder. And, and you guys, because Belle was one of the auction dogs at a DU banquet. Yeah. And that dog was, at the time, I was uh, just trying to bid the price up, and I was on the committee. <laughs> and at $2,500, there's some drunk lady yelling behind me. Ah, she's waving her head, and, and they come to her, and she's won the bid. And um, her husband's like, no, she's drunk. We're not doing that. And so then they come back to me, and Aaron was sitting in front of me, so she didn't Uh-oh. even know I was bidding. <laughs> then they're like, here's your puppy. And I was like, oh, crap. Best mistake I ever made, though. Babe, did you bring the checkbook? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then Angie, because I talked to Angie, and she's like, oh, you brought me a Ducks Unlimited newspaper dog, is what she always called her. 
Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we we've donated puppies for DU banquets. Uh-huh. I mean, but they're usually the last pick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, they all worked out, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm super super excited about JoJo. Quickly, you know, it didn't take long for the kids to start falling in love with her, and I might have been the last one to fall in love with her. Really, Aaron and the kiddos were just. Well, you're. But then I, like I said, Bell. she didn't like me. As, she didn't like me because I spanked her that time. Cup my spanked her a couple times, but before I learned, like, oh, this is uh, this is not her personality. So well, even at the kennel, I mean, a lot of the dogs, majority of the dogs, no Ash is a snack lady. Uh, yeah. No me is the guy that hey, he sets the rules and make yeah. sure we follow. So. Talk about the last thing I wanted to hit on was um, you take the whole kennel up north yes, every summer, yes, sir. which is pretty common for, for Texas trainers just because it's so hot here. Yes. So you'll load up from window in, uh, which well, Joe went with you this past summer, yeah. which that, that was that was sad because Bella died and then we didn't have a dog in the house and then she's gone for three months and I did miss her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we tend to load up end of May beginning of june mm-hmm. and we'll return usually right before dove season so everyone can have their dogs for dove season yeah what kind of property do you have up there we lease a hundred and well the rent the farm we're on is 80 acres mm-hmm. and it has a big old beautiful kennel um and then our landlords they have another 40 acres and all this is built for retriever training mm-hmm. i mean you got technical water to train on you got any anything you want to train a dog on you got it there um when everything's full there's 17 different pieces of water oh wow i think people look at this industry of kennels trainers and they see these dogs in a kennel and they spend most of their life in a kennel on in a truck or in their own kennel and they have they take issue with that and think it's cruel and blah blah blah. Well, I encourage those people to go watch someone run run their dogs, and those dogs, number one, generally love the trainer. Number two, they love their work. I mean, they live for it. Uh, so I think there's a misconception there because these dogs are are very well taken care of. Yes, well, and we've ran into it. You know, it depends on the state. <laughs> you know, like. Up in Minnesota, you know, well, it's a little more liberal state. Mm-hmm. People don't understand what's in that trailer. Are they okay? Are they going to die? Right. You know, that's the conception people get like, oh, my gosh. But in reality, a lot of times, like when you kick dogs at home, when we kick dogs off the tra- trailer to go play, potty, whatever, and then it's time to go in the kennel, though you almost got to put them on a leash to put them in a kennel. They'd rather be on that trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, them trailers, they're built for comfort, and that's what dogs love. Um, and they're den animals, so that's their natural den. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they all have their own spot. Yes. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm so happy uh, with JoJo. Thank you, guys. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, she's just a she's a, she's a hoot and uh, in every good way possible. <laughs> yeah, a rascal. The the smiling lab. Yeah. It looks like she's gonna bite you. Like the uh, the uh, Aaron, of course, likes to give money to uh, Jeff Bezos, and so the Amazon truck comes frequently, <laughs> and they don't they don't take it the same way. You know, they're like, uh, "Is this thing gonna bite me?" I'm like. No, no, she's just smiling at you. She's just saying hi. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys are on Facebook, and now I know you finally got an Instagram page yeah, going. Yeah, I finally got an Instagram. Yes, I'm on Facebook. Not as Trigger Time Kennels, just under my name. Uh-huh. Right on. So find you, find go to check out Rusty Hagelin there, and you can find Trigger Time Kennels there out of Bonham, which is just about a 45-minute jaunt from North Texas. And... uh yeah, thank you guys for everything. Certainly appreciate it, and thanks for making time for us today. Well, thank you thank for you. yeah, thank you for inviting us. Absolutely, thanks, guys. That segment of the show brought to you by Kent Cartridge and Lone Star Ag Credit. Uh, thanks to Ashley and Rusty. Thanks to our other guests today, Maria Davidson of the SCI Foundation. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Gotta go. Gotta get out of here. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Kibble Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Getting high is easy. Getting drunk is fine. It's the getting by the bit of soul now. So if you need me, know that I'm leading somewhere along this uncoastal.